Today, as you may know, we are working our way through the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible, just go ahead and grab that now and open to Luke 11. But before we read our passage, I want to ask you about moments where, if you ever had one of those moments where you think to yourself, man, if I would have only listened, if I would have only listened to that advice, like maybe you can think through, um, a previous relationship that you had that someone warned you about and you're like, man, if I would have only listened to that person, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. Maybe it was around your finances and maybe you're in Maybe you have an investor, investment advisor who said, don't do this, and you did it anyways, and you lost a bunch of money. Um, and you think, man, if only I would have listened and heard the message that that person was telling me. Maybe you can think of um, a habit that you had formed that someone warned you about that said, man, if you, can, if you keep going down that road, it's going to lead nowhere good. And then you went down that road. And you found yourself struggling. Maybe it was with sin or addiction or loss. So something that could have been prevented. And you think, man, if only I would have listened. One French general named Ferdinand Fauchet, I guess it's called. After the signing of the Treaty of Versailles, after World War I, said, this is at best a 20-year armistice, there will be another war. And sure enough, 20 years later, World War II broke out. Uh, George Washington, in his farewell address, warned against a two-party system, thinking that it would be harmful to the newly found United States, and I'll leave you to decide if we should have listened. Point is this, there's all times when we don't necessarily hear the message that people are telling us. And we're going to look at one of these times together today, this morning. And we're going to see that there is disbelief, and we're going to see Jesus step in and call for belief in him and in who he is. And we'll see that when we see Jesus rightly, others will see him too. When you see Jesus rightly, others will see him too. So turn in your Bible to Luke 11, if you haven't done that, and we're going to read, uh, pick up right in verse 29. It says, as the crowds were increasing, Jesus began saying, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the son of man will be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp And puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. 
If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray again for us this morning what I pray often, and that is send your light and your truth and let them lead us. Lord, let us see, let us see you, let us see the way that we're going, let us hear you, and let us respond in faith, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Two simple points to help us walk through our passage, with the first being the message of light. We see right from the outgo, right from the outset of the passage, that the people have gathered around, the crowds are getting bigger and bigger, and they want a sign. They want Jesus to do something. People love the glitz and the glamour of Jesus. And who wouldn't, right? I mean, he casts demons out. He's he doing all sorts of things. He's healing people. Lots of amazing things that Jesus is accomplishing. But it's like it's never enough. These people demand. They want another sign from Jesus. They're just not getting it. They don't really believe. They just want another sign. They wanted the results of the presence of Jesus without actually believing in Jesus. And it's like, how many more? How, how much more of a sign do you need? Look at all that he did so far. And Jesus' reply to them is that a sign will be given to them, but that sign is the sign of Jonah. And the question is, well, what is that? If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, you still probably would have probably would have heard of the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. It's the story of a man called by God to, to deliver a message to the Ninevites, and he didn't want to. And he disobeyed God and tried to flee from God, and in the process got swallowed by a big fish, who later vomited him, him out on the, the beach, and Jonah went and preached to the Ninevites. He eventually goes there, and this is where we begin to see what the sign of Jonah is. And the sign of Jonah is a message that contains three parts. And the first is a, a message of judgment. Jonah went to the people of Nineveh with a word of judgment that God was set against them. God would strike down Nineveh if they continued in their way. If they continued setting themselves up against God, if they continued in their rebellion against him, if they continued in the way that they were going, God was going to judge them. And Jonah came with that truth that they absolutely needed to hear, that they stood against God. And because of that, they made God their enemy. And so Jesus comes to the people in our passage and to us today and warns of judgment. That to be opposed to Jesus, that to not believe Jesus in his message, that is to stand against him and to put yourself outside of God. That life outside of the word of Jesus leads to destruction, leads to being far and separated and leads to judgment. And we know this from other places in the Bible. Following 
John 3.16, that famous passage where God so loved the world that he gives his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Following that says this in John 3.17. It says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness more than light because their deeds were evil. See that? Anyone who does not believe is condemned. And this is the judgment that people would rather have darkness than have light. That they stand outside of Jesus. And outside of Jesus, there is judgment and there is condemnation. Believing in Jesus and following Jesus leads to life. Otherwise, it leads to death. You can live your own way, believe your own things, have your own truth, but it is separated from Jesus, and they will leave you empty. But Jesus didn't stop there, because what this means is not just a message of judgment. With just that news, it would be pretty bad, right? Like all standing under judgment. But, but the message that Jonah brought and the message that Jesus brings is also a message of repentance, it was a message that, that if you turned from your sin, that if you turned away from what you're doing, that you would find a God eager to welcome you home. That's what message, that's the message that Jonah brought to the Ninevites that, hey, you need to turn and confess from your sins. You need to repent. And to repent is Christian language for literally changing your mind and therefore your life about something. You need to admit that you've actually been living against the way of the king of love. The message of judgment comes with a call to repentance. But it's so good that it doesn't stop there. Because this message of judgment and this message of repentance also comes with the promise of rescue. Because it's one thing to know if you're... If judgment's coming, it's another thing to believe that you've done something wrong. But what about rescue? Will you be rescued from judgment? Will your repentance be enough? Well, the answer for Nineveh back in the story of Jonah is one of hope. Nineveh was spared. They turned from their sin. They confessed their sin before God and God spared them. Jesus is saying that as Jonah came to the Ninevites and delivered a message and they responded, so he is standing there delivering a message that is ultimately a sign that you're going to accept that Jesus is the one from God with the words of life. Or you're not. And Jesus comes with a message of sure rescue. And Jesus says to these people, that the sign that you want is not the sign that you're going to get. 
Instead, Jesus is saying that I will be the sign. One has come from God with a message, and that is enough. That is sufficient. Jesus doesn't have to perform tricks. Jesus keeps driving this point home. In verse 31, he says, The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is greater than Solomon. And if you don't know your Bible, Solomon is referenced as the wisest person on the planet. And Jesus talks about this Gentile queen. And let's remember, Gentiles are people who stand outside of the story of God and the people of God. But this Gentile queen recognized that Solomon, God's anointed king in is over Judah, that, that he was the wisest man in the Bible. And she traveled far just to hear his words. Just to get close to him. Because God gave Solomon wisdom. And she was tuned into that. And she came Traveled miles just to hear Solomon. But Jesus declares that he is actually wisdom that is greater than Solomon's wisdom. That there is no wisdom that surpasses him. That in his person, he is the wisdom from God. Everything that we need. And he says that you don't even have to travel far. This wisdom from God wasn't, wasn't pent up somewhere. This wisdom from God came down. And it came to us. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The wisdom from God came to us. And he's standing right in front of these people. And Jesus is saying that, that he is wisdom and to believe in him. And instead of listening to his words, instead of believing that he came to to seek and to save the lost. They wanted Jesus just to do another trick. Jesus, can you give me some sort of sign to believe? And Jesus knows. Knows that he's enough. They want the benefits of Jesus. Without actually believing that Jesus is wisdom from God. You don't have to go searching for life and for wisdom. Because Jesus literally stands right in front of you. As the one there ready to receive you. And as the ultimate wisdom for your life. He is wisdom from God. You see we are like the people in this story. We sometimes want the benefits of Jesus. But we don't want the way of Jesus. And that is a way of repentance. A way of turning from our sin. We want the benefits of knowing Jesus. Without actually coming to the end of ourselves. Of realizing that he is wisdom. And we try to find wisdom in all different places. We read self-help books. And listen, I'm not like against like improving yourself and bettering yourself. Go read Brene Brown or whatever you need to do. But I'm just saying that Jesus is the ultimate wisdom from God. And he, he is calling us. And he's calling these people to see that. And then to live life in response to him. That he is the one that they're looking for. We look all around for what's going to bring us security and satisfaction and meaning and hope. To answer our deep questions about what, what's going on in the world and where is it going. And Jesus comes and stands before us and says that I am the answer to those questions. And I can be trusted. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus concludes this section 
by referring back to the Jonah story and says that not only the queen of the south judged this generation, but Nineveh will too. The queen recognized wisdom from God. She was a Gentile. The Ninevites, also Gentiles, recognized wisdom from God. And they they repented and they were spared. And friends, how much more will we be spared? How much more will Christ accept us if he didn't, if instead of spending three days in the belly of a fish, he spent three days dead and rose again. See, the sign of Jonah is the message that Jesus came with, but it's also the life that Jesus lived. That, that what more of a sign do we need from God than a bloody cross in an empty tomb? The one that took all of our sins, the one that took all of the deep sadness of earth upon himself and is reconciling to himself all things. What more of a sign do we need? And as if the Ninevites were spared because Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale and preached a message, how much more will we be spared because our Savior bore our sins in his body on the tree and then rose to new life? We will be if we repent. That is the message. The sign of Jonah is that Christ has appeared and you need to accept him in his words as the one sent from God. And here's the other thing about this passage that I think we should notice. Jesus refuses to get played by the crowd. He knows what's in their heart. Jesus didn't feel the need to prove himself. He didn't feel the need like to just make himself look better. He knew who he was. He was secure in who he was. We live in a time where we have to constantly prove ourselves. We feel that way sometimes. I got to prove myself at work. I got to I got to be a good husband. I got to be a good Christian. Like we have to prove ourselves all the time. Jesus is secure and he just comes to do what he says to do and he knows that he is enough. And he knows that what those people ultimately needed wasn't another miracle, but was to believe in the one that was sent, and that was him. He will not be played. Some of us, we try to negotiate with Jesus. If you do this for me, I'll believe in you. Because you didn't do this for me, Jesus, I'm not so sure about you anymore. Jesus doesn't need to play those games. He died and was raised for you. That is the sign that you need. That is enough for you. He doesn't need to do anything else to prove his love for you. The ultimate expression of the love of God for you happened 2,000 years ago on a Roman torture device. Jesus is trustworthy. He knows what you need. He's unable to be moved by the crowd. He is just consistent. He is true to who he is through and through. He is from God. And he came for the least, the low, and the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. He knows that he is all that the people need. And that his life would be the best sign of God's love for them. And here's the thing. Because of that, we can trust Jesus. 
John says that he's full of grace and truth. One paraphrase would say that Jesus is true from start to finish. He is the most consistent person you've ever met. People have let you down. Your spouse has let you down. Your parents have probably let you down. Your boss might let let you down. But I could rickroll right now. Jesus will never give you up or let you down. Never turn around or desert you. Right? Jesus is consistent. And he wants us to see who he is and to trust him. To trust him. Because when you see Jesus clearly, others will see him too. Which leads to our next point. The presence of light. The presence of light. Jesus pivots and enters into a a little story about a lamp in verse 33. And it's kind of a weird story. First read, it kind of makes sense. It's kind of bizarre. Um, Makes a statement. No one lights a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, right? Like it's like you want other people to see the light from that lamp. It's like no one goes camping turns on their, at night, turns on their flashlight and leaves it in the car, right? You want your camping so that you and everyone else at your camp, campsite can see. But then Jesus goes further in verse 34. He says, your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. And at first read, it's I'm not really sure what it means. But, but here's the best way I can describe it. In the Greco-Roman world, the understanding of your eye wasn't just that it let light in, that you, that you didn't just see with your eyes, but that your eyes also were an expression of what was in here. So the best way of putting it is that what's in here always makes its way out there. And the Greco-Roman understanding was your eye was the gateway through those things. I know it's different than Western culture, but that's just what it is. So the eye doesn't just take in light, but it shines out your body's inner light. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body's healthy. If your eye is dark, your whole body's dark. It's a reflection of what is in here. It's like, and we kind of, we know this, right? That what's, what's out here always gets out there, right? The old saying, a drunk person never says anything that he hasn't thought sober, right? Because what's in here always makes its way out there. And what Jesus is getting at is that you cannot have inner light from yourself. You can't live as light and without that light coming from somewhere. One theologian said, there is no inner light without outer light. You can't live as a light to others if what is in here is darkness, simply put. And Jesus is connecting what he's saying now to what he said about the sign of Jonah together. Because here's what he's saying. You cannot live as light. You cannot live whole lives that shine out light to others if you don't see the light that is Christ. He is the outer light that creates inner light that shines light on others. If you believe in him and see him for who he is, he creates light in here that can then shine out to others. Because if you see Jesus clearly, others will see him too. And the question for you and the question for me 
is are we seeing Jesus and believing in him in a way that is radically altering our lives? Have we let Jesus shine his light on us? Or are we like the people here that just want Jesus to do more things for us without actually repenting and following and walking in his ways and believing in him? Because Jesus refuses to just be an add-on. He must be the answer for your life. In all of this, friends, Jesus is inviting you and me to see him. He's inviting us to see him for who he is. He refuses to play the games that people are playing. This Jesus refuses to be used and manipulated. And he knows what people need is not just a gimmick, is not just a physical sign. What people need is him, and he knows that. And that should stir up a certain peace and confidence in you. Because Jesus could have done the sign. He could have done the trick, but that wouldn't have changed hearts. What people needed ultimately was him. He knew that they were blinded and that they needed to see him. And there's something in this that is beautiful about Jesus. Because even in his chiding of the people, he's actually doing what's good for them. Right, we read this as just as judgment, but Jesus is actually doing what is good for them. No, you don't need a sign. You need to see me. You need to see me. For some of us, we've been following Jesus a while. But what I want us to see here is that Jesus here is someone that you can keep trusting. Maybe you've never followed Jesus at all. And what I want you to see here is that Jesus is the most consistent, trustworthy person. He knows what you ultimately need. He knows that you need him. And if you've been a Christian a while, it's sometimes easy to forget that, that we have everything we need in Jesus already, that he is wisdom from God, that he comes with the message from God, that he is the answer for us. He's trustworthy. He holds every tear you cry. He came to bind up brokenhearted people, to proclaim liberty to people who are captive, captive to sin, captive to anxiety, captive to depression. He came to proclaim liberty, to announce good news to the poor, to to you and me, to people who are struggling. We get the sign of a bloody cross and an empty tomb. What more do we need? Jesus came for a mission and the purpose of seeking and saving the lost. He can be trusted. You can trust him. And because he can be trusted, we can hear Jesus' call. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. Jesus invites us in light of who he is and in what he says he came to do. And in light of the fact that he comes with a message, not just of judgment, but a message of of repentance and one of sure rescue from our sin and from what ails us and from our troubles. And he invites us then to take a look on the inside and see if there's darkness there. And that because Jesus can be trusted, we can then assess ourselves honestly. He invites us to know our hearts because he already knows your heart. 
He can be trusted with your darkness. He can be trusted with the parts of you that are maybe not the way you want them to be. He can be trusted with your sin. He can be trusted with your fears. Jesus is safe for you. And because he is safe, you don't have to be afraid to look into those crevices of your heart. Those areas that you find unattractive, that you know that you're not living like the light of Christ has shine on, shone on you. Can look and see that addiction. Can look and see that shame. You can look and see that sin. You can see your own insecurity and fears and you can assess them honestly because Jesus can be trusted. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that we can come to him as we are. We can drop the pose. He sees through us to our hearts. He saw through this this generation in the passage to their hearts and knows what they need. And he knows that what's in here always finds a way out there. So we can we can assess our hearts honestly. Carry around resentment. And that just keeps working its way out in anger. We can assess our hearts honestly and come to terms with that because Jesus took it upon himself. Maybe you're trying to hide or manage sin that you don't want anyone else to know about. You can assess that heart honestly because what's in here eventually makes its way out there. Maybe it's your insecurity. You run to each new thing to give you security. What's in here makes its way out there. Bitterness that you hold towards somebody. Try to squash it down, not deal with it, not reconcile a relationship, but then it comes out. What's in here makes its way out there. And Jesus is inviting us to look in here at those things and to let his light touch it. You see, we're invited to experience Jesus because there's something about this passage where, where Jesus pivots that it's not just about us, but that when Jesus shines his light on us, something about us changes in such a way that it shines its light on others too, right? Because we have in here, if therefore your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you, that there's something about experiencing Jesus and the hope that he brings, and there was something about letting his light touch us and becoming honest with ourselves and our hearts and honest about who he is, that it brings a certain amount of light that shines towards other people. And it's light that can shine in a dark world. Because when Jesus touches our hearts, when he changes us, here's what this looks like. It looks like fellowship, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sins. It means forgiveness. Because when Jesus touches our hearts, we can, we can honestly start to work through the bitterness we hold on to. We, we can forgive other people who've wronged us. 
It means generosity. Because when we have everything we need in God, we can live open-handedly with things. It means we can be present because Christ is present to us and is taking care of our future. When the light of Christ shines on us, we can step into our work faithfully, knowing that when we work, we're joining with God. We can love our neighbors like the the good Samaritan loved his neighbors, even when it will inconvenience us. Because Christ was willing to be inconvenienced for us in being nailed to a cross. We can be bold and give God our fears, knowing that he takes them all and gives us confidence that he is in control. We can give God our shame, the things that we're afraid of. When we let God touch those places and and hear him, that instead of shame, he clothes you with honor in Jesus. Doesn't just raise you up to your shame, but raises you up as a son or daughter of God. We can be joyful in the middle of suffering because when the light of Christ touches those things, we know that God is working all things for good. That doesn't mean we downplay our suffering. It means that we can have a certain amount of joy and confidence knowing that Christ has come. He is wisdom from God and we can be hopeful. We can be honest with who we are and our sins and our struggles because our Savior has paid for every single one of them. And we know that he who began a good work in us will complete it. He will carry it to the very end. Man, when when the light of Christ touches us and it begins to just shine light on those dark places, it allows us to walk in light as he is in light. And it allows us to shine out through the world. And the invitation for us is to experience Jesus' light. That he gives us a kingdom to step into and a new hope in himself. Friends, when you see Jesus clearly, when you recognize his message, when you see him as wisdom from God, when you see him as the one who is the answer to your heart's longings, when you see him correctly, we begin to step into new life that we will work out for the rest of our lives. But it's a light that will shine its light to others as well.